0: The Australian Frequent Flyer Podcast is boarding. Step on board for the latest news, tips and tricks for Australian travellers. Your captain Matt Graham now invites you to sit back, relax, and enjoy the episode. G'day and welcome to episode 55 of AFF On Air. It's great to have your company on this Saturday, the 6th of March, 2021. Coming up in this episode, why there are more than 150 planes parked at Alice Springs Airport. Competition for Australian domestic flights is heating up with the launching Boeing 737 flights from Melbourne to Sydney this week and Virgin Australia recently opening a new airport lounge. And are you legally entitled to a refund in Australia if an airline cancels your flight? Find out what airlines are and aren't allowed to do. But first, let's begin with a roundup of the latest airline and frequent flyer news from the past fortnight. And as I just mentioned, Regional Express Airlines, or REX, began flying Boeing 737s between Sydney and Melbourne this week. The inaugural REX Jet Service, ZL18, departed Melbourne at 7am last Monday, marking the beginning of jet aircraft operations for REX. REX's business model until now, since launching in 2002, had previously been just to fly small turboprop aircraft to country towns. During its first week of 737 operations, REX has been flying three times a day between Melbourne and Sydney. The regional airline plans to gradually increase this though to nine flights per day in each direction by the end of March. This week, Rex also announced plans to fly Boeing 737s to Adelaide and the Gold Coast. From the end of March, Rex will fly twice a day each from Melbourne Adelaide, Melbourne to the Gold Coast, and Sydney to the Gold Coast. After being closed for almost a year, Rex has also now reopened its airport lounges in Sydney, Melbourne and Adelaide, although access is only available to business class passengers and Rex lounge members at the moment due to COVID-19 capacity restrictions. And I'll have lots more on the subject of Rex's new domestic flights later in the episode. Meanwhile, though, Rex has also called on the ACCC to investigate Qantas yet again for what it's calling predatory behaviour by the national carrier. In a fiery press release last week, Rex announced that it would be standing its ground on regional routes where Qantas has recently launched flights in direct competition with Rex. As Rex expects to make a loss in doing this, the airline airliners claim that it now needs to make up for those losses by withdrawing flights on five thin regional routes that it claims it has been subsidising up to now. Four of the affected towns, so Grafton, Lismore, Bathurst and Cooma, will be left without any air service if Rex pulls out, although of course Rex also mentioned in its press release that it would consider reinstating flights if the federal government extends the RAN's funding for regional aviation that's been around since COVID-19 started. That's currently due to end at the end of March, at the same time as Rex says it's going to be withdrawing those flights. Now, at the same time as Rex pulls out of those four towns, as well as Kangaroo Island, Rex announced that it will launch two new regional routes in direct competition with Qantas on the Sydney to Port Macquarie and Sydney to Coffs Harbour routes using Saab 340 aircraft. And Rex says it's also considering launching flights from Sydney to Canberra, Perth to Geraldton, Melbourne to Devonport and Sydney to Tamworth, which are all current Qantas routes mind you that's despite Rex declaring last September that cities such as Tamworth which insisting uh, which insist on charging security screening charges on carriers not legally required to be screened will not be considered for new Rex services. Now, QantasLink CEO John Gissing has fired back. He responded by saying that it feels like Rex is trying to blame Qantas for other challenges they may be having, and described the announcement as a typical Rex tantrum. Mr Gissing said that Rex's idea of competition is that it's something that happens to other people because they believe they have an enshrined right to be the only carrier on some regional routes. Qantas also pointed out that it has announced 26 new domestic routes since the start of the COVID-19 pandemic to reflect new patterns in travel demand while international borders remain closed. And of those 26 routes, only eight are served by Rex, and Rex remains the largest operator on all of those routes. Phase 1A of the COVID-19 vaccine rollout in Australia began last week, with quarantine, border, frontline healthcare, aged care and disability care workers in first in line to get the jab. Aged care and disability care residents are also part of Phase 1A. Elderly adults, other healthcare and high-risk workers, adults with underlying medical conditions and Aboriginal people aged over 55 are in the next priority group for Phase 1B, and the government plans to offer free vaccines to all Australian adults by the end of October 2021. The first shipment of internationally manufactured Pfizer-BioNTech vaccines arrived in Sydney almost three weeks ago, with 142,000 doses arriving on a Singapore Airlines flight. Before arriving in Australia, those first batch of Pfizer vaccines were flown in from Brussels to Singapore and then loaded from there onto, a, onto that Singapore Airlines A350 bound for Sydney. And Singapore Airlines uh, luckily has the necessary processes in place to keep the precious cargo at a controlled temperature throughout the journey. Unlike the AstraZeneca vaccine, which is the other one that's been approved for use in Australia and is now being rolled out as well. The uh, Pfizer vaccine needs to be stored and transported at a temperature of around minus 70 degrees Celsius. So this obviously presents a logistical challenge, but the Australian government has contracted uh, DHL to distribute those vaccines across Australia using a network of 200 ultra-low temperature portable freezers. With any luck, those vaccines will be what's needed to reopen Australia's borders and eventually to restart international travel. But a firm decision on that is still some way off, and it co- of course it will take time before most of the population is immunised anyway. In the meantime, the Australian government has this week extended the human biosecurity emergency period uh, by another three months, so that's going to now be until at least the 17th of June 2021. This means that the overseas travel ban and various other restrictions, like a limit on cruises entering Australian waters, will remain in place until at least that date, and this is now the fourth time in a row that the government has extended this period by three months since it originally put in the emergency period last March. In a statement, Health Minister Greg Hunt said that the AHPPC had advised the government that COVID-19 remains an unacceptable public health risk to Australia, including the emergence of more highly transmissible variants. Meanwhile, Qantas says it now plans to resume international flights to most destinations from the end of October 2021. Qantas had previously been taking international bookings from the 1st of July, but the airline has now revised that expected start date. October is when the government, as I just mentioned, plans to complete the COVID-19 vaccine rollout in Australia – Uh, which gives Qantas some confidence that it should be able to restart some international flights by then. But the end of October also just happens to be the start of the IATA northern winter scheduling period, so that does make it a logical, albeit somewhat arbitrary, cut-off point. Now there is every chance that Qantas will make further changes, and no one really knows yet whether international border restrictions will be sufficiently relaxed by October for Qantas to be able to restart commercial passenger flights. After Qantas announced uh, back in January that it was planning to resume international flights in July this year, Deputy Prime Minister Michael McCormack was very quick to point out that decisions about when international travel resumes will be made by the Australian government and not Qantas. Nonetheless, it is interesting to have a look at the international flight schedule that Qantas has put out for travel beyond October, and even uh, even though further changes are possible, it does give us a good indication of what Qantas is planning to do once borders eventually do reopen. Of the 37 international routes that Qantas used to fly before COVID-19, and this excludes all trans-Tasman flights to New Zealand, I'm not including those in this count, but Qantas will initially resume flying on 27 of those 37 routes. Uh, Most of the former Airbus A380 and Boeing 747 routes will be downsized initially to Boeing 787s. Capacity to Hong Kong and Tokyo will also be significantly pared back, um, among other destinations, and initially Qantas won't return to New York, Santiago, Osaka, Vancouver, or Sapporo, and the Brisbane to Chicago launch is delayed indefinitely. Qantas has at least now extended its policy of unlimited fee-free changes to international bookings now, this previously only covered domestic and trans-Tasman flights. This policy now covers all Qantas bookings made until the end of April at the very least, and for travel up until the 28th of February next year. Last week, Qantas also announced a half-year loss for the first half of the 2020-21 financial year of just over $1 billion. $1 billion. Qantas estimates that it has lost a staggering $6.9 billion in revenue though, between July and December last year, which is a drop of 75% due to COVID-19. But there were a few bright spots in the Qantas portfolio, with the freight and loyalty divisions both making healthy profits. Qantas wine sales particularly boomed last year, with a 74% increase in revenue delivering record sales for Qantas wine during the lockdowns. In its recent announcement, Qantas also hinted at a new expanded partnership between Qantas Frequent Flyer and Commonwealth Bank to be launched sometime in 2021. Virgin Australia has opened a brand new lounge at Adelaide Airport. The new space is much bigger than the old Virgin Lounge in Adelaide with seating for up to 283 people. The design of the Adelaide Lounge is also much different to any of Virgin's previous lounges, and the new design will eventually be rolled out to all of uh, Virgin's other lounges, and I'll have more on this also later in the episode. The capacity of the Howard Springs Quarantine Facility near Darwin will be expanded from 850 to around 2,000 people, with the expansion to be completed by around April or May, Prime Minister Scott Morrison announced yesterday. But the federal government still hasn't received a proposal for a new quarantine facility, which was announced recently by the Queenslander government to be built into Woomba. And the Victorian Premier Daniel Andrews still hasn't committed a date to restarting international flight arrivals into Melbourne. Victoria had paused international flights originally for five days when Victoria was placed into lockdown around three weeks ago. Australia's Civil Aviation Safety Authority, or CASA, has cleared the Boeing 737 MAX to fly again in Australia after extensive design changes and testing were completed to ensure the aircraft is safe. The 737 MAX had been banned from operating in Australian airspace since the Ethiopian Airlines crash almost two years ago. But we won't be seeing 737 MAXs in commercial service within Australia just yet as Australia was the first country in the Asia-Pacific region to lift the ban. The only airlines that had been operating the 737 Max's in Australia prior to the ban were Fiji Airways and Silk Air, neither of which operate domestic flights, and Silk Air of course now being part of Singapore Airlines. But since the Boeing 737 Max is not yet approved to fly commercially in Singapore or Fiji airspace, they won't be um, operating commercial flights just yet. Virgin Australia has around 25 of the 737 MAX planes on order. The ACCC has proposed to approve an extension in the alliance between Qantas and American Airlines for another five years, allowing both airlines to continue code sharing and coordinating on price schedules and frequent flyer loyalty benefits on flights between Australia and the United States. Qantas frequent flyer is currently giving 30% off the Qantas points required to book classic flight reward tickets between Sydney and Melbourne for travel any time in March or between 13 April and the 22nd of June this year, and that sale is available until tomorrow, Sunday the 7th of March. The discounted rates also appear to be showing up on the Qantas website. If you book some other routes that include a Sydney to Melbourne flight, for example, Melbourne to Cairns via Sydney. And Qantas's new mystery flight packages sold out in just minutes last Thursday. Qantas released three mystery flights departing from Sydney, Melbourne and Brisbane with tickets starting at $737 in economy class. Passengers on these mystery flights won't find out where they'll be going until the top of descent, although Qantas has provided some hints to help people decide what to pack. The flights will take place on board chartered Qantas Boeing 737-800s, and the one-day package includes a full day of activities at the surprise destination. That's what's making news on australianfrequentflyer.com.au this fortnight. You can stay up-to-date between podcasts by subscribing to the Australian Frequent Flyer Gazette to get the latest Frequent Flyer news straight to your inbox for free every Monday and Thursday morning. When international travel ground to a halt last March, many airlines were left wondering where to park all of their grounded planes. There's only so much space at international airports, and some uh, climates and environments really aren't good places for long-term aircraft storage. Although many airports around the world became temporary car parks, the need for longer-term aircraft storage became a business opportunity for for facilities like Asia-Pacific Aircraft Storage, or APAS for short, which is based in Alice Springs, right in the middle of Australia's Red Centre. As it happens, the hot, dry, and not very humid desert climate of Alice Springs makes it ideal for long-term aircraft storage. And the runway at Alice Springs is also long enough to be able to handle Airbus A380s 24 hours a day, making that airport an ideal location if you have to park your plane somewhere. APAS was initially founded in 2014, and, uh, but at the beginning of 2020, there were around 30 planes stored there. Many of them were Boeing 737 Maxes, which had, of course, been grounded since March 2019. Before COVID-19, it was a relatively small facility, which was close to breaking even, according to an article in the Financial Times back in January 2020. And the owners were at the time considering expanding the facility so that it could store up to 70 planes at a time. Today, there are over 150 aircraft stored right beside Alice Springs Airport at the APAS facility, and it's still growing. The facility could eventually be expanded to store up to 250 planes. I recently visited Alice Springs, and the sheer scale of all the planes parked next to that airport is simply mind-blowing. There are rows of grounded planes lined up for several kilometres, if you haven't seen pictures yet, feel free to Google it. And I've also posted a couple of my own pictures in the article on AFF that's linked to this podcast episode. Uh, a lot of those planes were in also wide widebodies, uh, which, of course, you know, the international long haul flights uh, have been probably the most affected by the pandemic. So that makes sense. And I expect that probably a majority of Cathay Pacific's global widebody fleet is currently in Alice Springs. There were so many Cathay Pacific planes, but that's only the start of it. There are literally billions and billions of dollars worth of aircraft just sitting there on the ground in Alice Springs. APES doesn't publish a list publicly of all the airliners at their facility, but you can get a good look from the public areas around Alice Springs Airport. And when I was there a few weeks ago, I spotted Cathay Pacific 777s and A330s, Cathay Dragons A330s and A320s, Singapore Airlines A380s and 777s, Scoot Dreamliners and A320s, as well as Nox Scoot Dreamliners. Cebu Pacific A330s, A320s, and ATR turboprops. Jetstar Dreamliners, Hong Kong Express A320s, there was a Silk Air 737 MAX, and a Fiji Airways 737 MAX. I also spotted a couple of jets in Tiger Air livery, a Virgin Australia 737, and a couple of regional jets in uh, what I think might have been a Helvetic Airways livery. That's an airline based in Switzerland. Of course, planes come and go all the time. While I was there, um, a couple of Jetstar Dreamliners were just arriving from Avalon Airport, and a Cebu Pacific A320 was was leaving the facility to return to commercial service in the Philippines, where demand has just started to pick up again. Singapore Airlines also recently rotated a couple of A380s in and out of storage there. And on the 26th of February, which was the date that CASA lifted the Boeing 737 MAX suspension, that Silk Air 737 MAX I spotted in Alice Springs was returned to Singapore. But whichever way you look at it, the scale of aircraft storage in Alice Springs is just huge. And it's a really sad reflection, unfortunately, of the current state of the global aviation industry, which is still being battered by the pandemic. Now, this the statistics I'm about to tell you vary, of course, between low cost and legacy carriers, and between different airlines. But for every airframe in a in an airline's fleet, an airline would typically need at least six sets of pilots and flight attendants to operate a full schedule of flights. That's per per aircraft. Now, let's assume just for a moment that a narrow body aircraft typically needs around seven pilots and flight attendants to operate each flight. Let's so say five flight attendants and two pilots, and for a wide body, it would perhaps typically need around 15 to 20 aircrew on each flight. Now, there are a mixture of wide-body and narrow-body planes at APAS, although I think there's probably a few more wide-bodies than narrow-bodies, so let's just assume, on average, that the number of crew members needed to operate each of the planes parked there would be around 12 per flight. And so if every plane needs six sets of operating crew, that's around just let's say 72 pilots and flight attendants that for every plane parked in Alice Springs are no longer employed. Now multiply that by the number of planes and there are over 10,000 pilots and flight attendants who no longer have jobs. And that's I would say that's a pretty conservative estimate, to be honest. but it gets worse. MIT estimates that around five times as many staff are needed to keep a plane in the air than just the pilots and flight attendants. So those are people like the maintenance staff, airport ground staff, baggage handlers, customer service and reservation staff, cleaners, people working on the cargo aspect, and other in-house staff of the airlines. So the real number of job losses represented by all of the grounded planes in Alice Springs is probably more than 60,000. And that's just that one aircraft storage facility. And of course, that doesn't even take into account all the people who are indirectly employed by aviation, such as airport retail staff, tourism businesses, travel agents, taxi drivers, hoteliers and resort operators. So as you can see, the economic and human impact of all those grounded planes is just devastating. Each of those grounded airline crews have a different story, and there's been many, many different stories that have come out over the last year. Some have taken early retirement or got jobs already in other industries. Some are now working as contact tracers for health authorities. And there was quite a famous story last year on the project, that Channel 10 show, of the former Qantas A380 pilots in Sydney who now work as bus drivers. I've also come across former Qantas flight attendants who are now working for New South Wales TrainLink. And many staff are still stood down without jobs at all, waiting patiently to find another job or to be able to return to the skies. Although it doesn't uh, by any means make up for the tens of thousands of jobs lost due to those planes being grounded, the creation of facilities like APES has, however, been an employment opportunity for some people, which is good news. As I understand it, APES employs around 40 people in Alice Springs to maintain all of the planes. And it's not simply a matter of um, bringing a plane into Alice Springs and letting it sit there for years. The planes do require regular maintenance to keep them in good shape and to have them ready to return to the skies once the airlines see demand returning. When a plane first arrives into storage, the oil and fuel systems are preserved and drying agents are placed in the engines before being sealed up. Lubricants are also applied to critical flight surfaces like the wings to keep them protected against the elements when they're out in the desert, and the windows are taped up to keep the inside of the cabin dark and nice and cool to protect the interior and cabin furnishings. The aircraft then need regular maintenance while they remain on the ground, and that could happen anything from about weekly to every three months, depending on the type of plane and the airline's needs and requirements. This could involve things like changing the oil or or firing up the engines just to keep them moving. According to that Financial Times article I quoted um, earlier, APAS gets around 70% of its revenue just from maintenance work. And without that regular maintenance, the planes could lose their airworthiness status over time. Last week, the Sun newspaper in the UK quite famously published photos of three Thomas Cook A330s which were abandoned at Manchester Airport after that airline went bankrupt around 18 months ago. And I'll post a link to that article in the episode notes. But after the um, airline collapse at Thomas Cook, those planes were basically just left abandoned at Manchester uh, with fuel still left in the tanks. There were still pillows and rubbish left on the floor after the plane's last flights. And even the trash compactors hadn't been emptied from that last flight. Over those 18 months, they were basically just abandoned. Mold had, in fact, taken over the inside of those planes, and the mold on one of those planes was so bad that they had to get in specialist cleaners in full PPE um, just to remove it. Ultimately, those three planes were so badly decayed over those 18 months that they couldn't even be sold. The planes were broken up, and the few remaining parts that could be salvaged were sold off. Just on an unrelated matter, a similar thing happened actually to the old Qantas Club and Virgin Australia lounges at Darwin Airport last year um, during the COVID-19 lockdown in the Northern Territory last year. Um, And since those lounges were closed anyway, Darwin Airport decided to save a bit of money by switching off the air conditioning in that part of the terminal. But since it's so hot and humid in Darwin, those lounges ended up being basically taken over by mold. And that's why, um, in case you're wondering, the Qantas Club in Darwin still hasn't opened yet. But anyway, so as, as, as you can see, like, they do need to be um, taken care of. Unfortunately, there are no public tours available of the APAS facility. And in my opinion, if, if the owners of that facility had the time and inclination, that could be quite a good business opportunity and a nice tourism drawcard to Alice Springs um, while there are all those planes there. But nonetheless, in the meantime, if you do happen to be um, around Alice Springs, those planes are all visible from the airport terminal. Um, And if you're sitting on the right-hand side of the plane, you should also get a pretty good view of all those planes while you're landing or taking off from Alice Springs if you are flying in. So, yeah, go and check it out if you happen to be visiting Alice Springs. If you've been enjoying this podcast, you may be interested to know that I also host eight webinars per year for AFF's sister website, Frequent Flyer Solutions. Each interactive hour long online webinar covers a timely topic of interest to frequent flyers and anyone in Australia looking to travel better for less. The next webinar will be held at 8 pm Australian Eastern Daylight Time on Wednesday, the 24th of March 2021, and the topic will be new opportunities to buy airline miles in 2021. If you'd like to attend any Frequent Flyer Solutions webinar, you will need to register in advance. For more information, visit frequentflyer.com.au. I spoke just before about the pilots and cabin crew who've been stood down or made redundant due to COVID-19. Some of those have now been hired by Rex Airlines to work on their new Boeing 737 operation. As I mentioned at the start of this podcast, Rex this week began its foray into domestic jet services between Australia's capital cities – By the end of this year, Rex is hoping to have around 6 to 10 Boeing 737-800s in service, which it will use on routes like Melbourne to Sydney, Melbourne to Adelaide, Sydney to Gold Coast, and Melbourne to Gold Coast, which have already been announced. And Rex is also looking at flights from Melbourne to Brisbane, Sydney to Brisbane, Sydney to Adelaide, and perhaps even Sydney to Canberra. The first of those routes, as I said, launched this week, and I was on one of the first flights between Melbourne and Sydney. Now, I'd have to say that the Rex service on the ground was a little bit unorganised, in my experience, but once on board, you could have been forgiven for thinking you were flying with Virgin Australia. Now, for starters, Rex's leased Boeing 737s are former Virgin Australia aircraft, They have been repainted into a new Rex livery, um, but on the inside they look almost identical to a Virgin Australia plane. The seats are exactly the same as what you'd find on a Virgin Australia plane, the configuration is exactly the same, Um, and even the purple cabin divider and magnetic rope that separates economy from business class is still there. The only difference that I noticed on my flight was that the business class seat backs had been reupholstered to remove that Virgin logo that was embossed into them. Oh, and there was no in-flight entertainment or Wi-Fi available on Rex. But many elements of the Virgin Australia service have also been copied by Rex, including things like introducing the crew members as they stand in the aisle at the start of the flight, and having a flight attendant stand at the back of business class after landing so that the business class passengers can disembark first. Uh, Now the the boarding music is different, it's a different tune to what you get on Virgin Australia, although I'm pretty sure the music comes from exactly the same company that supplied Virgin Australia with its current boarding music. In terms of the service on board, I was pleasantly surprised with how polished it was. Rex might have just started 737 flights this week, but the cabin crew looked like they had years of experience. And that's because they had. Most of the crew I spoke to had recently been let go by other airlines, including Virgin Australia, Tiger Air, and even Emirates, due to COVID-19, and they'd been rehired by Rex for the new 737 services. All in all, they were really excited to be back in the air and in their new roles at Rex, and the crew were just so enthusiastic to be back flying. I booked one of those special $199 business class tickets and flew from Melbourne to Sydney, and so I got to try out the business class service. Rex provided a light meal for the lunch service, and it was served on a cardboard tray with a choice of drinks served in plastic cups. Now, on my flight, the meal choices were a hot quiche or a cheese plate, and this came with a warm bread roll and a cupcake. Everything was wrapped in disposable packaging, and even the cutlery was made of cardboard. There was no you know, plates or um, metal cutlery or glasses or anything like that, um, although I'm sure that the trays in the plastic cups are at least recyclable and that the rest of the packaging is biodegradable. I'll post a comprehensive review of the Rex Business Class experience on Australian Frequent Fly with some photos as well. So if you're interested, you might want to have a read of that. But all in all, well, I don't think that the Rex Business Class service was quite up to the standard of Qantas, it was pretty good value for the price. Virgin Australia certainly has a new competitor on their hands. I also flew recently with Virgin in Business Class, and they're still providing just a very basic snack box instead of proper meals in Business Class. However, I believe Virgin is planning to relaunch its business class before Easter, so it'll be probably sometime at the end of this month, and we'll soon be seeing also a reintroduction of buy-on-board food and economy class on Virgin, and possibly also in-flight Wi-Fi, so watch this space. Meanwhile, Virgin Australia last week opened its new lounge at Adelaide Airport. I was at the opening, and I think it was a pretty nice new lounge. It's bright and spacious, and Virgin has also brought in a new food menu with more fresh options. In the Adelaide and also the Melbourne lounges, Virgin is currently trialling table service as well. So instead of heading over to a buffet or to the bar if you want a drink, you now can scan a QR code at your table and order directly from your smartphone what you'd like and the staff bring it over to you. By the end of this month, Virgin will have also reopened its Canberra Airport Lounge. That's due to reopen this month, and it's the last lounge from Virgin's former lounge network that the airline is planning to reopen. So although the in-flight experience with Rex is currently about on par with Virgin, or perhaps even slightly better, this could soon change by the end of the month once Virgin's full service is back. It'll be interesting to see what happens. Virgin has the advantage of a frequent flyer program and better and more airport lounges, uh, and they've got a larger network, they do have in-flight entertainment, and they've got international partner airlines, which could be advantageous once the borders reopen. But yeah, I don't know. Rex is going to do all they can to try and impede on their their grounds. So it'll be interesting. History has told us that there's not enough room in the Australian domestic market for three major airlines. Of course, history could be wrong, but time will tell whether the market can really sustain Rex, Virgin, and the Qantas group, which is Qantas and Jetstar simultaneously. And if it can't, which is the airline that might not survive? Over the past year, we've heard lots of different things from airlines about cancelled flights, refunds and travel credits. Some airlines have willingly refunded flights that they've had to cancel due to the pandemic and border closures. Other airlines say they'll only let you change your travel dates or request a travel credit. So it got me wondering, can airlines in Australia legally refuse to refund a flight that they've cancelled? What does the law say about this? Well, to find out, I sat down and had a pretty good look at the Australian Consumer Law... This is a Commonwealth law that applies to all flight bookings, or actually pretty much any other good or service, which is bought in Australia. Now, the relevant piece of legislation here is the Competition and Consumer Act 2010, which contains the Australian Consumer Law under Schedule 2. And this is what I found. Chapter 3, Part 2 and Subdivision B of the Australian Consumer Law contains consumer guarantees relating to the supply of services. This section does not apply to insurance contracts or contracts relating to the transportation or storage of goods, but it would apply to passenger flight bookings. And this section contains guarantees that services will be provided with due care and skill, that they'll be fit for purpose, and will be supplied within a reasonable time frame. Now, obviously, if an airline does not operate a flight you've booked on and it does not provide an alternative flight at a similar time, then it has not provided the service you paid for within a reasonable time frame. However, businesses do have a get-out clause. In Chapter 5, Part 4, Division 1 and Subdivision B, a consumer may take action such as requesting a refund in the case of a service being unfit for purpose or not supplied within a reasonable time frame. However, this does not apply if the failure... And I'm quoting here. The failure to comply with the guarantee did not occur only because of an act, default, or omission of... ...or representation made by any person other than a, than the supplier or an agent or employee of the supplier. And that's the end of the quote. So, in other words... If government restrictions or any other third-party action or events outside the control of the airline were the entire cause for the cancellation, so if the only reason that the flight was cancelled was because of events outside the airline's control, then basically you may not be entitled to a refund under Australian consumer law. Now, that, that, that um, exclusion doesn't apply for services not provided with due care and school, but that's not really relevant here. It's the reasonable time frame that's really relevant in the case of an airline booking. So if an airline cancels your flight for a reason within their control, though, such as mechanical issues or commercial reasons, then the consumer law would still apply. But if government actions or things like border closures are entirely to blame, then yeah, then the consumer law might not apply. However, that's not to say that there aren't or that there might not be any other remedies available. Australian consumer law could override a contract you have with the airline if there's a contract term which is unlawful, but it does not remove rights that you have under your contract with the airline otherwise. And the, your contract with the airline is generally the, condition, the conditions of carriage that you agree to when buying your ticket. Some airlines have a clause in their conditions of carriage which says that the airline will offer customers a refund if the airline cancels the flight. And this could be for events within or also outside of the control of the airline, although most airlines will specify this in the conditions of carriage. And so, for example, Qantas and Etihad Airways are two airlines that do say that they'll give you a refund even for cancellations outside the control of the airline. Businesses also can't change their contract terms after you've bought your ticket, and so that's why the ACCC forced both Qantas and Etihad last year to offer refunds to all customers whose flights were cancelled for any reason. But other airlines, including Virgin Australia and Air New Zealand, uh, say in their conditions of carriage that they don't have to offer a refund if your flight is cancelled due to events outside the control of the airline. And so that's how those airlines and other businesses have gotten away with offering travel credits instead of refunds for flights that have been cancelled due to border closures. Now, nonetheless, the ACCC came out last year publicly to say that they expect all businesses to treat customers fairly. Of course, the voluntary administration of Virgin Australia last year also impacted on this. Virgin has not been able to refund passengers with tickets that were booked before they went into administration last year, although that's not really um, anything to do with consumer law. That's um, a special case due to the administration. And Virgin has at least given future flight credits to affected passengers. Of course, if you as an airline, as a customer decide to cancel your flight, that is different to the airline cancelling your flight on you. And so in that case, if you decide to cancel what the flight is still running, then the fare rules or the irrelevant airline policy would um, decide what you're entitled to. So there you have it. In case you've been wondering what the law says about your right to a refund for cancelled flights, now you know. And that's all for this episode of AFF On Air. And thanks for listening all the way to the end. For more information about anything discussed in today's episode, check out the episode notes. Here you'll also find a link to the AFF on Air discussion thread on the Australian Frequent Flyer forum, where you're welcome to discuss the podcast or ask me a question to be answered in a future episode. If you've enjoyed this podcast, I'd really appreciate if you'd take just a minute to review AFF on Air on Apple Podcasts. And if you haven't already, don't forget to subscribe on your favourite podcasting platform to receive every episode as soon as it's released. I'm Matt Graham and I'll be back next fortnight with more news, tips and tricks for Australian travellers. And until then, safe travels.